Hello and welcome to River City 360 views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me as always is my co-host Robert Zirk. On today's show we will speak with Jesse Buchanan, one of three artists traveling across Canada for Art Expressed, a coast-to-coast mobile art studio for Canada's 150th. Then, are you commuting to work in a green way? Elizabeth Shear, Commuter Challenge Coordinator at the Green Action Centre, is going to tell us how to find out all about this year's Commuter Challenge and how it encourages Winnipeggers to rethink their daily commutes. We'll also speak with Marie Bouchard, Community Grants Associate at the Winnipeg Foundation, who will tell us all about her experiences over the last 13 years. Then we'll speak with Shaden Abusale, a participant in the Winnipeg Foundation's Emerging Leaders Fellowship, who is working with the Gas Station Arts Centre on Sawa Theatre, a bilingual theatre program in English and Arabic for newcomer youth. And as always, Noah Ehrenberg of Community News Commons will tell us all about this week in Winnipeg through the lens of CNC. All this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to River City 360. Robert, how have you been faring this fine May? Are we still in May or is it June yet? It's June. June 1st. The very first day of June. Summer has arrived. Yes. Maybe not officially, but it's it's yeah. definitely got that summertime feel. All the festivals are starting to come up. We've got Pride coming up this weekend and... Uh, yeah, it's it's an exciting time in Winnipeg. It's exciting it's, to finally uh, be outside and just let the sun hit your face and just bask in the warmth. Finally, you know we wait a long time for these for these beautiful days and yeah, uh, and get to enjoy the outdoors. Maybe go uh, a little bit beyond the perimeter and enjoy what our province has to offer. Definitely. Speaking of going beyond the perimeter, uh, our first guest today is uh, Jessie Buchanan. She's an artist from Guelph, Ontario. She is one of the three artists artists um, in the Winnipeg Art Gallery's Art Expressed program. Now this is a really cool initiative from the from the WAG that uh, their curatorial team came up with for Canada's 150th. Basically what's going to happen is uh, three their shipping containers essentially are going to be transformed into mobile art studios uh, and they're going to be shipped to the far north, the far east, and the far west coasts uh, for the entire summer. They're going to be traveling around to, I think, 15 different communities and, and cities and eventually going to be reconvening back in Winnipeg in the fall. Um, Jesse is one of three artists who, like I said, is going to be accompanying one of these containers and she's going to tell it tell us all about her container. I, I believe she's the one going north, so it's going to be pretty cool. Um, Super Can't wait to hear all about this. We're going to get to that right after our first musical break. So we're going to go with Jessica Lalonde with It Might As Well Be Spring because it is spring technically, but uh, summer's right around the corner. I'm as restless as a willow in a windstorm. I'm as jumpy as a puppet on a string. I'd say that I had spring fever, but I know it isn't spring. I'm starry-eyed and vaguely discontented, like a nightingale without a song to sing. Should I have spring fever when it is? 
Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan Bicknell here with you today. We're now joined via telephone by a very special guest. We have we have Jessie Buchanan. She is an artist um, from Ontario that is involved in the Art Expressed program at the Winnipeg Art Gallery celebrating Canada's 150th. Jessie, thank you for talking to us today. Hi, thanks so much for having me on. So we want to talk about Art Expressed. It's a very interesting event. So Give me the breakdown. Basically, I understand that you're going to be designing and (laughs) shipping, shipping containers all across Canada and basically bringing the gift of art to students and and people all across our great country. So maybe tell me your role in it and how you got how you got involved in Art Expressed. Yeah, so the call for submissions was out last at the end of last year, and I proposed to um, basically uh, have a, a mobile art studio that would um, kind of uh, render three-dimensional, or sorry, two-dimensional paintings in acrylic in uh, in the uh, on the northern route. So I applied for that, and um, so so just to give you a quick breakdown, it's basically we're going to 16 different communities in all, and it's broken down into three different routes. So there's myself doing the northern route, the north to south route, and there's Becky Thiessen, she's doing the west to east route. Um, and then there's Evan Collis. He's doing the east to west route. So yeah. basically, I'll be starting in Inuvik. Becky will be in um, Alert Bay on the west coast, and Evan will be in St. John's. Very cool. And from there, we'll each be going to five different communities. Yeah, that's incredible. So, what, what's your background like? What kind of artist are you, and and how did what are you going to be bringing to this project? So, my idea is to go into the communities with an open heart and open mind. And um, what I'm going to be doing is setting up my workshops uh, at each community. And to start the dialogue with the groups, I'm going to be asking them two questions. The first question is, how do you understand yourself as a Canadian? And the second question is, do you feel connected with your land and or environment? Please explain and be as specific as possible. And then from there, I'm going to invite the participants to render their answers um, in painting, or if they choose, they can do collage. Um, I'm also open to poetry and dance, and I'll also be able to record, like, um, uh, uh, sound recording, so if oh, people nice. want to do spoken word and that kind of thing as well. 
And um, and I'm actually a First Nations artist, so I have that ancestry, and um, that really has informed my work up until this point. So I was really excited to go to these communities because a lot of them are, um, they have large, in, in a lot of the communities, they have a large majority of uh, First Nations people that live in them. Very cool. So in the context of Canada 150, um, I think it'll be a really, I'm hoping it'll be a real celebration of like reviving our traditions, which is kind of what I do in my own personal studio work, but like in helping people express how they feel about their traditions and, and from their own unique perspectives. That's beautiful. So it sounds like any sort of artistic expression whatsoever, you're going to be all, all for. Yeah, I mean, the majority of it will be um, in the uh, on basically these two-dimensional um, canvases. Right. And I have 150 of them, so I'm hoping that each canvas will represent, like, an individual story. Awesome. Um, yeah. That yeah. sounds very interesting. So what, what's been the process so far? I understand you've already designed some of the, uh, the shipping containers with Art City here in Winnipeg and with the uh, Graffiti Art Project or programming their Studio 393. So what, 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 what's going to be inside these, these uh, sort of mobile studios and, and what have they been uh, d- designed with so far? So for um, Becky Thiessen, so she's going to be um, doing stencil work, mm. um, and she's uh, focusing on, um, we're all kind of focusing on the same thing, like all of us are kind of trying to show diversity and like trying to break down stereotypes and trying to celebrate individual voices, so we're all kind of trying to do that, but the, in the way that we're doing it is very different. So Becky is using stencils that in her container. And she'll be actually creating stencils with um, the participants that she meets along the way. And um, they'll be actually using the stencils to create a giant, basically, mural on the inside and on the outside of her actual container. So um, if you're basically out west with Becky, you'll be doing stencil work. And she'll be there assisting people with that. And then Evan Collis will be on the west, or sorry, on the east coast. And he'll be uh, transforming his... um, his uh, rail car into sort of a paper mache um, community stop motion animation oh, wow. project. So he's really interested in individual, like um, depicting individual characters and, and histories of people through like almost like three dimensional um, stop motion animation through paper mache. And um, he's francophone as well. And a lot of those communities are francophone. And then I'm going up north and I'm doing the. Um, Voices. My, my exhibit is called Voices of the Landscape. I'm doing mainly the the uh, 150 uh, paintings, and mm. uh, yeah. So I think it'll be. I think it's a really important project, and I think it's at a really important time in, in Canadian history for this to be happening, Absolutely. and for us to be able to do it. I think is is pretty amazing. Yeah. How do you think? Why do you think art is important for those nor- northern communities to help rediscover maybe their roots? Well, because of the history of um, the sort of colonial history of Canada and residential schools and things like that, um, I think it's really for myself as just speaking from my own personal experience as an Indigenous uh, artist and woman, I've used art as a way to help heal and to articulate that identity. And for me, it's been amazing. And I've really been able to... um, kind of speak my own voice about um, about being having that First Nation status, mm-hmm. but 
also just in 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 the act of creating art it's such a fun thing to do you know like it's just it's so fun and in that I'm also an art therapist so I think I have oh, I'm nice. going to be bringing some of that art therapy training forward but but not in the way of of psychotherapy but in the way of helping people like express whatever they're interested in expressing so I think that art is very important I don't even think of it as I think of it more as a necessity in our in our society than as right. a a luxury and I'm hoping that um yeah, that the, the people are that I meet are um, are interested in partaking in that. For and sure. I think it can be very healing, yeah. Definitely. So what's the timeline looking like? When, when are you going to be back in Winnipeg with, with, the, uh, with, these, with these giant six-meter shipping containers? <laughs> yeah, we'll be back for Nui Blanche in Winnipeg. So I think, I September? actually don't know the exact date. It is September. It'll be the end of September. So um, we'll be displaying all of the shipping containers at um, the wagon at the Forks so that basically after all these amazing journeys, we're going to be bringing everything back together to Winnipeg so that it also acts as a, as a way to um, connect like right. the people of Winnipeg with all of these communities. Very so cool. I think it'll also hopefully like bridge communities because a lot of these communities are so like isolated mm-hmm. and far away, especially the ones that I'm going to that I think it'll be really good to hear from the communities and to have people respond to that. Absolutely. Well, yeah. well good luck on your journey. I'll tell you what, when you when you get back, you'll have to come back on the show and tell us about your experiences because it's such an incredible once-in-a-lifetime trip that you're going to be going on that uh, I'd love to hear the stories and the and, and hear about the people that you're going to meet and the stories that you'll, you'll be able to tell. Thank you so much, Nolan. I'm really looking forward to it, and uh, I appreciate... Um, you guys being interested and sure. um, feel free to go on the um, I think it's Canada150.wag.ca for more information. Fantastic. Jesse Buchanan is an artist traveling with Art Expressed this summer for Canada 150th. Uh, good luck again, Jesse. Thanks so much for talking to us today. Thanks again, Nolan. Take care. Thanks, Nolan, and thank you, Jesse. The launch event for Art Expressed is happening on June 9th in Inuvik, Alert Bay, and St. John's, and it'll be streamed live on the website canada150.wag.ca. Coming up after the break, we'll speak with Elizabeth Shearer at the Green Action Centre to learn all about this year's commuter challenge that's taking place from June 4th to June 10th. But before we get to that, here is Leo Riesman with Happy Days Are Here Again, right here on River City 360. Happy days are here again, the skies above are clear again. Let us sing a song of cheer again. Happy days are here again. All together shout it now. Oh, 
Thank you for listening to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined by Elizabeth Shearer. She is the Commuter Challenge Coordinator with the Green Action Center here in Winnipeg. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to chat. So I want to ask you about the Commuter Challenge. Now, for people who maybe aren't familiar with the Green Action Center and the Commuter Challenge, could you give us a brief overview about what the Green Action Center does here locally and also about the Commuter Challenge? So the Green Action Center is a local environmental nonprofit, and we focus on waste reduction, cycling education, active and safe routes to school for kids, um, and and we focus on this commuter challenge program every year. So we work with workplaces and individuals all over Manitoba to get them to try out a sustainable mode of transportation that basically is anything other than you being one person in one car on your way to work. So that can include walking, cycling, transit, or inviting someone into your car and doing a carpool to work, or trying out working from home and saving some greenhouse gas emissions on your in a, in a telecommuting um, day with your workplace. Okay. It's sort of a way for them to consciously reduce their greenhouse gas emissions by trying out alternative methods of transportation if they don't already green commute. Yeah, for some people the challenge is riding a bike to work for the first time. For some people, the challenge is taking transit because they never have before. And for some people that do it all the time or year-round or they cycle and bus and walk um, regularly, the challenge could be recruiting other people in your workplace to get on board and try these new methods of transportation with you. How many people and organizations participate in the Commuter Challenge every year? Well, already in Manitoba, we have 300 workplaces signed up, and that number just keeps climbing. In Manitoba, we are leaders across Canada in this challenge. So in 2016, there was over 20,000 people across Canada that participated, and 8,000 of those people were from Manitoba. Wow. And as the name Commuter Challenge implies, um, there's a little bit of a, of a fun competitive element to it. Could you elaborate on how that works? Well, there's friendly competitions that emerge in lots of different ways. So there's friendly competitions here locally in Winnipeg, across Manitoba, and nationally. In Winnipeg, we have workplaces that compete against each other to try and win 100% participation and uh, in, and the most participation in their, um, their, their workplace categories. So that's based on how many employees they have. Um, then we also kind of um, compete with between smaller cities in Manitoba as well. So um, other cities outside of Winnipeg have also done really well. Um, Brandon, Thompson, Minnedosa have also run um, in their population categories across Canada. And um, Manitoba, it's kind of embarrassing how many times we've won over the years. Um, we do such a great job, and Green Action Center has been promoting this event for, for so long, and it really shows how many people in Manitoba really are passionate about cycling, busing, walking, and, and committing to making more sustainable choices in their daily lives. So what kind of impact has the Commuter Challenge had in terms of reducing greenhouse gases? So in 2016, 427 workplaces participated and nearly 8,000 individuals registered and tracked their kilometers. And of those kilometers tracked, almost or just over 90,000 kilograms of CO2 was avoided. So this is calculated based on when people start to register, they'll put, I normally drive alone or I normally take the bus, and then they make a calculation based on their more green commuting options. So if someone went from driving alone in their car to busing, that will significantly lower 
um, their CO2 and carbon footprint. Similarly, you know, if someone just bikes and continues to bike, um, they won't have a reduction, but it's something that's, you know, adds to adds to our numbers and adds to um, adds to the greater celebration of this green commuting achievement. This challenge is definitely for everyone, whether you're an individual wanting to participate or you're um, wanting to get your workplace involved. You might find that your workplace is already signed up. Maybe someone has already stepped up to the plate. If there is no workplace coordinator yet, we invite you to register your workplace. Excellent. Elizabeth, I want to thank you so much for speaking with me about the commuter challenge and encourage our listeners, if uh, you're interested in learning more about the Green Action Centre, to visit greenactioncentre.ca. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks, Robert. And thank you again to Liz- Elizabeth Shear of the Green Action Centre for speaking with us today. The Commuter Challenge takes place this coming week from June 4th to June 10th, and there are more than $5,000 in prizes up for grabs for participants who register and log their kilometres. Uh, these range from a $500 voucher for Via Rail, a one-night stay at the Fairmont Inn, free donuts for a year, and passes to Folklorama and the Winnipeg Folk Festival. So, again, if you want to learn more about the Commuter Challenge or how to participate, you can visit commuter commuterchallenge.ca or greenactioncenter.ca. Coming up after the break, friend of the show Marie Bouchard is retiring from her work at the Winnipeg Foundation. So she'll be joining us in studio to talk about some of her favorite experiences in her role as a community grants associate over the past 13 years. Before we get to that, here are Cleo Lane and John Dankworth with Melbourne Marathon right here on River City 360.
Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today. We're now joined in studio by Marie Bouchard. She's a Community Grants Associate at the Winnipeg Foundation and friend of the show. You've been on a couple times in the past, so thank you for coming back, uh, I guess, one final time. Oh, my pleasure, Nolan. So I say one final time because uh, you are... You're going to be done soon. You're retiring from the Winnipeg Foundation, so uh, we wanted to have you on. Because you're a wealth of knowledge in the community, um, you're very well known within the arts and culture community here in Winnipeg, and we just wanted to kind of have a retrospective, a little discussion about your time at the Foundation and your time here in Winnipeg. So my first question is, what what are you going to remember most fondly about your time here? Wow, that's a big question because there are multiple ways to answer that. Um, First of all, 13 years has just flown by. It's the longest amount of time I've spent in one place. Uh, So that speaks uh, loudly to the merits of and the joy of working here at the foundation. So as to what will stay with me is um, the ability to do good. I think that that for me characterizes the work of the Winnipeg Foundation, that we're in a position and we have a lot of flexibility to respond to needs in the community. And so that's been very, very gratifying. It seems to empower the uh, employees here to, to, like you said, do good. What are some of the things that you're most proud of in your tenure here? Um, well, certainly the, um, the grant making that we do through our grants committee has been very gratifying. The opportunity to learn about what the charitable sector sees as important needs um, within the community and being able to respond to those has been very gratifying. I've also appreciated the foundation's um, bird's eye view of what's going on in the community because we are a 360 degree funder we are um, aware of what organizations are doing in all the different sectors and that gives us the unique ability to be able to convene like-minded organizations to work together Um, so for example one of the um, Uh, instances where that came into play was with Studio 393 in the downtown uh, Portage Place Mall. That was an opportunity for the foundation to look at an issue, which was that kids and youth were not really welcomed downtown. There was no space for them. Um, There were a lot of youth crime and and, uh, tragic incidences happening. So we were able to address that by bringing um, stakeholders together, um, some arts groups that were already doing youth outreach in the, in the area uh, within their own organizations, bringing them together with the folks at Portage Place Mall and with the Winnipeg Police. And thus we're able to start what's now called Studio 393, which has become a mainstay in the downtown area. There are hundreds of kids uh, from all over the city who come to Portage Place now. They animate the space. Um, They bring a a fresh face to our downtown. And so for me, that's been one of the most gratifying uh, projects that I was able to initiate here at the foundation. It's very cool. What have you noticed over your 13-year tenure how, how has Winnipeg changed? How has the phil- philanthropic uh, community changed? And how has Winnipeg changed since uh, since you started here? Um, I don't know so much that it's changed. I think that uh, Winnipeg and Manitoba in general are, uh, Winnipegers are very generous uh, with their time, uh, with their um, money. 
um, with their ideas and expertise. I think for me, what I've noticed is that um, we certainly have gone through some desperate times, particularly in 2008 and the aftermath of that. Um, changes in government, changes in leadership, all affect the non-for-profit sector in ways that uh, can put a lot of stress on people who are essentially trying to do good. And it seems like we're often asking them to do that good work with less. And so Winnipeggers and Manitobans have always stepped up to the plate. And that is something that has impressed me profoundly. So before we started talking here, you were you, I asked what you had written down there, and it seems like there's some pretty interesting stats that you've compiled over the uh, 12 or 13 years. So uh, why don't you give give our <laughs> listeners a little taste of some, just some of the, the scope of, of what you've experienced uh, through, throughout your years? All right. Well, at the end, as I was saying to you before, at the end of each year, uh, the Grants Associates um, track their overall activities for the year. So I did some cumulative stats for my 13 years at the foundation, and I have personally uh, reviewed 1,735 grant requests. Wow. <laughs> so it's been, uh, as, as you can see, and, and that's in all sectors, yeah. so from community service to uh, recreation to arts and culture. So very broad um, assortment of requests from the community. You must have learned so much throughout just reading about all these organizations and meeting all these people, I would imagine. Hey, like how valuable has that been? It's been absolutely incredible and really, really humbling. Um, people in the not-for-profit sector are generally creative, compassionate, generous, amazing, amazing people, amazing leaders in our community. And so it's been very humbling to um, witness um, the work that they're doing and to also be able to walk alongside them as, as they're doing this work. So that 1,735 grants has um, resulted in over $30 million. That's part of the cumulative. To the community, oh, wow. yes. Great. And so when I say that the foundation is in a unique position to support these organizations, it's not a matter of merely supporting them, but it's a matter of walking alongside them and um, supporting the work that they do and being um, a partner, not just a funder, but a partner, helping them to... Um, realize their vision, to build their internal capacity to do the work that they need to do, mm -hmm. uh, to support them through the tough times. Um, we do have processes here where we can do uh, an emergency grant, uh, if need be, on a very short term uh, and short notice. That type of flexibility is not one that many funders have. Right. I and think so the last time we spoke, it was about the uh, the newcomers, when there was that crisis of people coming across the border in the middle of winter the foundation was able to pivot pr fairly quickly and, and supply some That's uh, some, right. Some so aid. as a funder, we have tremendous flexibility. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I like to think that, um, that we are in a true partnership with our grantees, that their work is important to us as well. 
we couldn't do what we do without them. Absolutely. And so what are some so other stats that, uh, that you've some compiled? Some other stats? Well, uh, I have been on 311 site visits. Cool. And so, yes, it is very cool because as grants associates, when we're doing the review of the grant request, we will often go and visit the grantee, particularly if it's a new organization, first-time applicant to the foundation. But also if it's an applicant that's been with us for several years, you know, it's good to go visit them. Uh, talk to them on their own turf, um, just see what's happening, get a feel of the place. That is all um, knowledge that informs the um, the recommendations that we make. And so our, it builds our community knowledge. It creates empathy, which mm-hmm. is really critical to to the role that we play. And so those site visits are um, always such a, a joy. Sometimes it's a reality check, right. <laughs> you know. I would imagine, so, and, and personally, it might be a bit of an inspiration too to see the the work at the ground level being done in the city. That's that's helping people day to day. It keeps it real mm-hmm. because if you're only reading paper applications, right. then you know you're not really getting a full sense of what things are about. But you know, when you go to a childcare center, which is so important the work they do is so important to the little children and the formative years of their development and you see broken down furniture um, sofas held together with duct tape old toys very few books you know it it changes um the it changes how you view that request Mm -hmm. you can grumble and say well daycares government should be looking after the daycares But it's when you see it with your own eyes. When you see it with it your real. own eyes, and and you see how well intentioned the the staff is, and you think these little children deserve better. Right. Um, so it's our it's our attempt to level the playing field. Mm-hmm. Every child should have a safe place to be. Every child should have access to good food, good you know interesting topical books, age appropriate books, that type of thing. So it's all about leveling the playing field and that's one of the aspects of the work at the foundation that I've enjoyed so much is that ability to do th- mm-hmm. to work towards that. Work towards equity in our communities. Yes. So I mean uh, 13 years of wonderful work in the community, what is next? Um well, I'm going to take Besides a break. some relaxing and <laughs> relaxation, <laughs> yes. I would imagine. It's it's interesting to me because I've been asked that a lot. I mean, I'm retiring from my position here at the foundation, but I would say that um, um, I'm not retiring from my work in the community. Right. And I think the, the term retirement is an outdated term. Mm-hmm. Most people that I know who have left their full-time jobs are busier than ever. So really it's a rethinking, a repositioning of where I can apply my knowledge and my skills uh, in a way that will allow me to continue to give back to the community. That's great. Well, thank you for giving back so much to the community. Good luck in the future. And thank you for talking to us today. Marie Bouchard is a Community Grants Associate at the Winnipeg Foundation. Thank you, Nolan Megwich. Thanks, Nolan. Coming up after the break, we'll speak with Shaden Abusale. She is a participant in the Winnipeg Foundation's Emerging Leaders Fellowship, and we'll learn more about her project, Sawa Theatre, and how it's getting newcomer youth to open up and express themselves. Before we get to that, here is It's a Beautiful Morning by the Rascals, right here on River City 360. 
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert and Nolan here with you. And we are now speaking with Shadon Abusale. She is a participant in the Winnipeg Foundation's Emerging Leaders Fellowship Program. And her project is Sawa Theatre, which she's working on with the Gas Station Arts Centre. Shadon, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about the Sawa Theatre Project. Sawa Theatre is a theatre program for newcomer youth ages say about 15 and up and the purpose of the program is to provide a safe uh, and comfortable space for newcomer youth to express themselves, promote personal growth, encourage solidarity and uh, build friendships uh, with each other and uh, throughout the city of Winnipeg. How did you come up with the idea to do a theatre project? Why theatre specifically? It was actually super super random I am friends with uh, a student who came through the Student Refugee Sponsorship Program through WISC, a school group at at the University of Manitoba. And I remember just sitting with him, and we had wanted to work on something earlier. And he was telling me about his experience in a theater program when he was living in Jordan with about 100 Syrian and Jordanian kids. And it was this massive production for the Oliver Twist musical that was translated into Arabic. And even the songs were translated into Arabic and they got an orchestra from Belgium and somebody sponsored it and gave them a lot of resources in order to make this into something incredible. And I remember just looking up at him 
and just ask him, do you want to do something like this here? And he was like, yeah, okay, but I, I don't think I can work with 100 kids, maybe just 15 kids. I'm like, 15 is more than enough. And it essentially started from there where, you know, after that idea came about, I told some of my friends and they were super excited and they knew people. So just, I, I had like this list of people from say the settlement sector, the theater community, and people who've uh, worked with youth, newcomer youth after school program, like say the Neat Center and Peaceful Village. And uh, essentially just contacted them and just telling them, you know, this is what I have in mind. Do you guys think it's practical? And how, how do you guys think that you can help this vision become a reality? And that's how it started. And people along the way supported us and, and it became what it is today. The program is sort of divided into, I'd say, two phases. The first phase is the spring workshops, which is during the months of May and June, where we will have 10 to 12 workshops twice every weekend. And um, in these workshops, we conduct a lot of sort of theater games and a lot of skills to be able to perform in theater. That, that includes sort of voice projection, eye contact, and uh, it's also a period where we build our script together and based on a certain theme and each participant ends up developing a storyline that a playwright incorporates it into a script that all the actors can be a part of and our participants. So this is during the months of May and June and then we have our summer, our summer rehearsals during the months of July and August which are composed of script reading and some activities that we may have planned during the months of, during the month of July and August entirely is a time where they're in stage at gas station theater rehearsing for their play, which they will perform during the second weekend of September. So just before school gets difficult. So it sounds yeah. like the youth are involved in really every part of the process, starting from mm -hmm. what the play is actually going to be, because they're there developing the characters and then they get the chance to also perform that as well. Yes, exactly. And the, the idea behind it is we did this last year and when we did this, it was, it was super, super ambitious, very limited resources and just leaning on a lot of shoulders and a lot of people who thought that this was something they wanted to do for a really long time and it was it seemed like the perfect opportunity. The idea behind it was we really, really wanted this to be an opportunity for our participants to share their own story, whatever it is they wanted to say. We did not want this to be a cliche scenario where you had somebody from a very common narrative that we all very much know and hear about and they go ahead and present a performance about a very common narrative. Like we didn't want this to be like a struggle living in a refugee camp and say or living in a different country and coming to this new country and trying to adapt. We want we just sat down with them and we were like this is whatever it is you want it to be and essentially each and every single kid during content creation sessions would sit down with uh, our playwrights and they just came up with their own characters and the playwright sort of interweaved it into a story and again this is this is a platform to to show a different story to give our participants a voice but also to demonstrate that there is more to just that label that in a way sort of limits other people's perspective on newcomer especially on newcomer youth we get to show sort of complicated and intricate individualities and it's it's just it's incredible and, and very beautiful. What was the response from the students who took part in Sawa Theatre last year? Surprisingly, until we got like after the first few workshops, we got the same number of people and they were super engaged and they loved it and they wanted to come back because they also had this 
they also sort of shared that vision of they wanted to show something, they wanted to perform, and they wanted to be on stage. And a lot of these kids were on stage for the first time in their lives in a completely brand new home in Winnipeg in front of a diverse audience and in a language that they were very new to. That's got to be a difficult thing to undergo so many changes. But the great thing about theater is that there is that platform for self-expression. And I'm Mm -hmm. sure a lot of the participants really appreciated having that opportunity and to be part of such a creative process and not having to be put into a sort of box. They got the chance to express themselves in their own way. Mm -hmm. And that, I would imagine, was a very valuable experience for them. It was beyond great. And a lot of these kids, the ones that came on the first day and thought it was too lame to continue, they came on the performance night and some of them did sort of realize that they may have missed out on a really super cool summer. And so I remember they they were saying, like, we're going to come next year. And the alumni of Sawa Theatre want to come back and they're telling us that each one of them is saying that 10 of my friends wants to come back right now or wants to try this out as well. And these are skills that they're learning that they're carrying on. For the first time, some of them were like making genuine eye contact when talking to each other. That's so simple, but you rarely notice it until you sort of experience it. For the first time, they were able to speak in front of each other, in front of a stage, but also in front of each other very comfortably and and very open in expressing how they're feeling and their emotions, which is something a lot of the newcomers coming here, it's sort of a taboo to sort of express yourself um, or like say how you're feeling or say that you like something or don't like something the way that we very much openly do in, say, Canadian society, for example. So it's, it's an opportunity for them as well to do that. Where can people go to learn more about Sawa Theatre and get updates? And the performance of the final play will be taking place in the fall? Yes. So the performance of the final play, our plan right now is to have it in September 8 and 9. And that would be sort of the weekend after the first weekend of September, just before school gets difficult for them, because we know for sure that We won't get commitment if these kids have school and and other priorities to to take care of. And and doing it during the spring and summer is is easier. And it's also a good time to kick off their year as well. To learn more about Sawa Theatre, we have a Facebook page called Sawa Theatre, S-A-W-A Theatre. We also have an Instagram profile, an Instagram account called Sawa Theatre as well. And we've recently set up a WordPress website called sawatheater.wordpress.com and all of these we have information on Sawa Theater but the most information on Sawa Theater and what we're doing and organizations that we've worked with is through our website we also have volunteer applications up there for whoever wants to help out that's great Shadon thank you again so much for telling us all about Sawa Theater today yeah thank you for having me Thanks, Robert. Up next, Noah Ehrenberg is on his way into the studio to tell us about community news comments and the wonderful stories being published on CNC every single day. But first, here's Jack DeMello with Tiny Bubbles right here on River City 360.
Hello and welcome back to River City 360. Nolan Robert here with you today and we're now joined in studio as we are almost every week by Noah Ehrenberg. He's the convener of Community News Commons. Noah, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for inviting me. How's things been on the Community News Commons side of the world? Well, it's busy. You know, we've got training sessions now. We're teaching people how to do some audio podcasting and uh, audio storytelling and that's going really well. It's uh, Tuesday evenings and Thursday evenings. Tuesday at the Winnipeg Free Press Cafe and uh, Thursday evenings over at Millennium library it's free anybody can show up and uh, we usually get about 20 25 people and um, there's some very interesting stories that are being told uh, and so I'm hoping that these stories uh, will end up on River City 360. Very cool yeah we we can't wait to hear it's always very interesting to see not only to see the uh, sort of uh, end game the end product that people come up with when they're telling stories but just to see the mindset of how what stories they kind of pitch early on and seeing the story sort of evolve over the over the uh, process so that's really interesting looking forward to that but what's already been uh, published on CNC? Well actually this week there's an interesting story by uh, Vivian Ketchum who is a uh, longtime writer for uh, CNC and uh, Vivian wrote about you know it's a really heartwarming piece about her cat uh, See, you, you know? can read about anything on <laughs> exactly. Community News Commons. The internet loves cats. Well, so they sure there do. There you go. And, uh, I was joking in the class uh, this week that, uh, you know, we're likely to get uh, 10,000 people looking at this story yeah. on Facebook because it's about a cat. However, the cat's not fat. So, oh, well, uh, yeah. so we may not Maybe get only that 5,000 then. That's right. Uh, but it is about a cat named Pretty Lady who uh, was Vivian's cat for 14 years. And um, she tells a really uh, uh, very heartwarming story about this special relationship that she had with the cat and the difficulty that she had saying goodbye to the cat, uh, which she had to do recently. And um, it kind of gives you, a, you know, Vivian is a really interesting writer. And we, and again, I, I, I go back to a conversation we had in class in the sessions this week where people were, were talking about how the CNC was a really great opportunity for people to sort of have their own voice. And even Vivian has written that uh, in Facebook posts about how she really appreciates Community News Commons as a place for her to tell her story in the way that that she wants to in her own it. words too, exactly. without the filter of traditional media that's right and so what I tried to do years ago when we first started this project was to sort of honor the way that people tell their story and to you know to make sure there's no grammatical errors or smelling errors and things like that but in terms of you know their style I really tried to sort of be hands-off and you know Vivian's a great example of a person who has a really interesting style uh, I think a lot of people like reading her articles and I think our listeners would like to see this article read it it's at community newscommons.org and it's called feline love feline love Mm -hmm. love to hear and read about all sorts of love Mm -hmm. i understand there's a a, an article about pride winnipeg as well yes that's right and in fact a new uh citizen reporter named melanie ferris Uh, melanie is a nanashtambi woman uh living in winnipeg she's a member of the long plain first nation and um she loves writing and uh she wrote a piece about um the this year's pride festival that kicked off with a uh two-spirit powwow and Mm -hmm. so Vivian, or I'm sorry, uh, Melanie attended that particular event, and she wrote a little bit about what's uh, coming up with Pride. Uh, that's all this week and uh, on into the weekend. And um, you know, she was she was going to do an audio piece about it, but she ran into some technical difficulties, which we discussed in the class this week. And uh, but she's going out again tomorrow <laughs> to do another story that I'm not going to tell you about because uh, I I want to keep that one under wraps until she's done it. But cool. um, this story called Resurgent the Resurgence theme aims to bring more diversity to the to annual event which is basically the theme of pride this week Very uh, cool. this year that's kind of the best part about you about cnc is you never know what you're going to get you log on to communitynewscommons.org 
And you could be reading about someone's pet that they love, the Pride Festival, any sort of arts and culture <laughs> from the top down. So it's really interesting to hear what's being published on CNC. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of our time together, we like to always bring our listeners maybe something they haven't heard before. So what have you got for us this week? Well, this week, uh, these guys are friends of mine. Uh, actually, they're friends of my son, to be honest. Oh, <laughs> but, whoever's a friend of your son <laughs> is a friend of yours, right? That's right. The name of the group is Sebastian L. They're from Brandon, Manitoba. Uh, they started this group about, uh, oh, six, seven years ago. It was back in 2010. And um, they have some really interesting harmonies and melodies, uh, catchy choruses, really meaningful lyrics. It's kind of like a no-holds-barred, uh, energetic live show so you really should see them live which you will be able to do at the Brandon Folk Music Festival July the 21st and also actually coming up this Friday night at the Cavern here in Winnipeg nice. check these guys out Sebastian Al is the name of the group uh, they, they've played a number of festivals uh, across uh, Manitoba and across uh, Canada and they have four studio albums under their belt so uh, I would uh, highly recommend them as a live show or just to have a great listen to some really really great tunes and they all always deliver something new and fresh and that's what they've done uh, with this tune that I'm going to feature it's from their album uh, recent album called From the Ashes and the name of this tune is In Between so this is by Sebastian Al and you've got it locked to River City 360 with Robert Zirk and Nolan Bicknell on 93.7 CJNU There's a secret spot inside your soul Where you sink forever low not allowing me to go Holding on a heartache makes it hard to grow Believe me, I should know I lived inside a hole I made to hide away from everything Then it changed that's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for tuning in today and a huge thank you to all of our guests for talking with us. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to our podcast, visit us online at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. And we always love to hear feedback from our listeners, so feel free to give us a call, reach out, let us know what you think of the show, or even if you'd like to request a song or suggest a topic perhaps that we should focus on in a future episode of River City 360, give us a call at 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can also send us an email, rivercity360 at wpgfdn.org. And our phone number again is 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook as well by searching at rivercity360 on Twitter and River City 360 on Facebook as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell signing off for River City 360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening and we'll see you next week. Have a great day and a great weekend. It's just you and me And I am fine